Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. You can connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Gooder. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's slowly working through his fear of the color purple, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Again, caveat, every time this comes up, love the movie Color Purple. Uh, masterpiece of cinema uh, don't necessarily uh, love uh, the color uh, purple um, don't hate Google Bordellos like 2004 smash it start wearing purple um, but I, uh, I, I I enjoy talking to one person only associated with either of the two purple teams you can not going to throw Abilene Christian in there yet as uh, the third that haunt uh, the Longhorns um, but uh, you know it, it, it's all right Prince Prince wore purple and I love Prince so I, I you know I, I'm talking I'm trying to look at a holistic view on this and, and really just just self-soothe a bit um, in preparation for you know uh, my heart being broken as it as it is by purple teams over the past decade but uh, but we're, we're out of it we're out of the woods Gerald everything's good we could talk about purple teams because we're in a new era. And hopefully it's better than the last 10 years of Gary Patterson absolutely owning the Texas Longhorns. But we have, we say this, I feel like we say this every week, right? We have one of our favorite guests because I'm really like Big 12 SB Nation Twitter is incredible, right? So we have another one of our incredible favorite people on the Twitter machines. Uh, Melissa Trebwasser, who's the managing editor of Frogs of War, is with us this week to preview the TCU Horn Frogs. We'll have a great conversation with her. We'll do a little bit of burnt orange lenses. We'll um, look at some NIL stuff and, and the Elite 11 and all sorts of fun stuff. And we'll close the show out with some Godzilla Tron. Somehow we are eight weeks away from college football. We're excited about it. Uh, but we are moving at a rapid pace through this season and the, the schedule. And so we have the distinct pleasure, one of our favorite previews to do every single year. We're previewing the TCU Horn Frogs, featuring one of our favorite pe- people, Melissa Trebwasser, who of uh, the Frogs of War, she's the managing editor over there, and just one of uh, probably the top people in Big 12 Twitter. Melissa, how are you doing tonight? I mean, I'm feeling really good about myself now. You guys just kind of boosted me up there. So you always start and say such nice things. And then um, I feel like we, we get off the rails somewhere along the line, but it's always <laughs> It's always nice to be uh, to be appreciated. So thank you for that kind introduction. An important caveat, and we'll get into it. This is only a preview that we enjoy because of you, Melissa, not because we enjoy talking about TCU football against UT. That we don't particularly enjoy over the past few years. But talking to you is somehow makes it worth it. Well, you know, that is really nice of you because, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's been a painful uh, eight plus <laughs> years or so for, for Texas fans. But, you know, I think. You know, we've only, it's only third time's a charm, right? You guys have had the guy now, and this is the third time you've had the guy. So this Sark might actually be the answer to what ails University of Texas. Just imagine Sarkeesian if he had Charlie as his defensive coordinator and Tom Herman as offensive coordinator. It'd be unbeatable. <laughs> actually, probably not. That would be a wreck. I, I can't even react to that. <laughs> oh my God. Let, let, let's just, let's just move on. That, that, <laughs> Kyle, already, already with the. Going All right, off so, the rail. All right, let's go. <laughs> 
So let's talk you talk about football for a minute. So uh, probably the biggest one of the biggest stories of TCU in the offseason is the change in offensive coordinator, uh, Doug Meacham taking over full time uh, now that Sonny Cumbie has gone to the browner pastures of Lubbock. And so as we look at what TCU brings back in 2021, they've got a just killer set of skilled players and uh, Meacham has kind of a, a bunch of fun toys to play with as an offensive guy. So what are what are we expecting or what do you expect to see from the TCU offense in in 2021? I mean, I'm hoping really for just competency. Um, you know, the, the defense has, has kind of rolled out, um, you know, a, a relatively elite by Big 12 standard squad, um, you know, for, for since TC joined the Big 12. The issue has been the inconsistency of the offense. And when you, you talk about all those pieces that are in place, I mean, there's youth, there's experience, there's talent. Um, you've got a third year starting quarterback, but the first time in his three years that he's actually gone through a real offseason. And so, um, the only thing that could potentially hold TCU back is the offensive line, which, um, I mean, my, one of my favorite Gary Patterson platitudes is the good news is everybody comes back. The bad news is everybody comes back. I mean, it, it, this is pretty much a, a rollover of, of last year's unit with a couple of key changes, but, uh, it's a unit that was really bad in 2020. So, um, if the offensive line is healthy and if they gel as offensive lines do with time, um, then, then I think that you know, getting back to the days of being able to put up 30 plus a game is a reasonable prospect for this offense. Um, I'm also really interested in the dynamics of that coaching room. Uh, Meacham left TCU because he didn't want to share the duties uh, that, that they kind of decided to annoy Sonny Cumbie and uh, Meach got his his butt hurt a little bit and, and rightfully so. He's, he's got a lot of time in the, in the industry um, and then realized the grass is definitely not always greener on the other side, especially when that grass exists in Lawrence, Kansas, and kind of came crawling back, um, you know, after almost veering to the XFL. Um, so uh, can Kill, who is Patterson's anoint, anointed uh, coach of the coaches on the offensive side of the ball and his former best man and meet, find a way to coexist when both are um, really good at what they do and have been around for a really, really long time. Um, if they can get along, then I think you've got great potential. If they can't get along, then I think you're going to see a lot of what we saw in 2017 when there was a, a very much a tugging at the play card between uh, Meacham and Cumby. So from what we understand, Doug's calling the plays. And if he's allowed to call the plays and kills there to, to be an overseer, I think some good things can happen. Um, but if there's a power struggle, uh, we, we know who Gary's going to let win, and, and that could spell big problems for TCU. I, I will I will say that Kill and Meech sounds like a hilarious dysfunctional buddy cop uh, TNT drama, and, and I would watch it, um, first of all. <laughs> but uh, I, I think for, for that offense, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest question mark and probably the, the thing that will determine how far are the weapons, and we'll get into those in a moment, go. But you, you touched on it, is is the offensive line. A bit of a question mark for the second consecutive year and then taking out TJ Stormont, who from the outsider's perspective we probably would have thought was, was their best offensive lineman last year. Um, following, He went with Cumbie, I believe, to Lubbock. Um, what's the offensive line look like? I mean, what, what, what pieces do you have there and what's, what's the expectation? Now, I'm, I'm going to come out and say, first of all, I cannot call myself an expert on offensive line play. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I try to watch. I try to learn. Um, I, I want to know more about what's good and what's not. I will tell you this. From a TCU fan perspective, not a tear was shed when TJ left. Okay. So um, he was all potential and mm -hmm. occasional follow-through. 
Um, but I don't think that he ever was um, kind of the, the solidifier that we expected. Now, once again, we went to the transfer market and picked up Obina Easy, um, who is started, I think, 25 games at Memphis, who is a mountain of a man at 6'8", 3'0". Yeah, he's a huge dude. Um, and, and he has consistently played at a high level for a program that has high expectations in the AAC. So um, if he can come in and solidify that left tackle position, uh, he's not going to be worse than TJ, you know, like, and TJ wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but if you line him up, uh, Gary Patterson, for whatever reason, has the biggest like man crush on Steve Avila that I've ever seen him have on an offensive lineman. I have never heard Gary Patterson talk more about an offensive lineman than he does Steve Avila. And I think it's, it's because, uh, a, he's, he's really good. Um, but mostly that dude will play any position along the line. He's an ultimate teammate. He is nothing but platitudes in an interview. He's never going to say anything other than I work hard. I play hard and I want to run through a wall for these guys. Like that's, that's the whole dude's whole, he's the funniest interview on the planet. Cause he says absolutely nothing, but he'll, but he'll say the same thing over and over again for 12 minutes. Like it's, it's great. It's really easy to transcribe. It's nice. Um, so if, if he can hold down the center position, this is a potential, uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see him on the first or second team um, in, in the preseason all-conference all uh, voting. Um, so him and, and Easy, I think, put together a really, really solid front. Outside of that, it's a lot of question marks. Um, again, it's a lot of really, really young talent, um, uh, but but guys that came in with, with so much uh, so much praise that were so highly highly recruited. These are four star guys. Um, you know, you could see see somebody like uh, uh, Andrew Coker who is one of those guys that we've been talking about for a really, really long time, who has all the talent in the world. He's another just massive, massive human being. Uh, he should be a starting opposite easy at right tackle. And then at the guard position, um, I'm going to be very interested to see how this goes. Blake Hickey was a walk-on who came in the last couple of games last year and performed <laughs> really, really well, earned a scholarship. I don't know that I want the walk-on fifth-year senior starting when you have a guy like Wes Harris or Coy McMillan below him that, that have a little bit more experience, but that'll be a good battle to watch. I think Harris is ultimately going to be the starter if he's healthy um if he had been healthy last year he would have absolutely been the guy and then at the other guard position um you're you're looking at uh john lands uh coy mcmillan again or the redshirt freshman Altrick barlow who um again is another one of those like high four-star players that came in that everybody wanted massive human being um a lot of skill just doesn't have a lot of experience and so there were so many injuries on that side of like in that position in the trenches last year that we never really got a good idea of what some of these young guys could do. But if you tell me that I'm going to have easy and Avila and Coker all season long, I'm going to feel a lot better about the offensive line than I have in probably the last three or four years. I don't know if I like TCU with a confident offensive line, especially with all the skill players in back. Like it, it killed, it hurts. It's all going to come down to one thing, right? And, and that's going to be Max Duggan. So you look at the running backs and you look at the wide receivers and, and on paper, I mean, these dudes are are as legit as it gets. Uh, what what uh, you know, Zach Evans did last year. Um, I, I think he's going to be freed up to be the guy with with Darwin Barlow transferring out. Um, and so, if you're if you're going to stack the box and try to slow down the TCU run game, and you've got an offensive line that can block for the run, then you know Duggan's going to have to hit hit the deep ball, and he's going to have to improve his accuracy. And all the all the pieces are there for that to happen. Um, but, but if he can't complete 63, 64, 65% of his passes, this is going to be another offense that, you know, is, is putting that defense on the field way too much. And that's how they got in trouble last year. Let's just camp out there for a second. Cause you literally hit all the points that we would use for, for a segue there, which we appreciate. <laughs> so like Duggan is coming back and he was 
basically the cornerstone of that offense last year, led the team in both passing and rushing for better or for worse some, ga- some games. Again, Texas fans still waking up in cold sweats thinking about him against Texas and he had another career game against the Longhorns, which is totally fine. It is what it is. It's still one of my favorite plays that I've seen in like since like the 2014-2015 the years is him just dropping back and being like, Oh crap. Okay. And just busting through that big <laughs> hole in the middle of the line. And we don't often like, <sighs> like that with, with this offensive line. So, but anyways, yeah, it, but you're right. I mean, it's, it, this is, this is on max now. I mean, he's, he's a junior. He's been in the program. Uh, he was an early enrollee, but this, this poor kid has, has had an off season taken away from COVID. You know, he had an, he had an off season uh, or the the fall camp taken away um, because of a, a heart issue that nearly cost him his career. That's right. Um, and you know, he came in as a true freshman and and dealt with all the drama with Alex Delton that wasn't a really healthy situation. And so, uh, too much was asked of him too quickly, and he struggled. And then when it looked like he was he was ready to be great on the other side, then the world completely and totally fell apart. And then his world completely and totally fell apart. And so you're looking at him going into to this, this fall with no excuses for the first time in his life. Um, and, and I do think that this is a kid who has the moxie and the makeup and the intangibles to be great. He's an incredible athlete. Um, I don't care how many times he busts out a 25 yard run. Everybody looks at the skinny little white kid in the back and is like, oh, I'm not worried about him. And he always <laughs> makes you pay for it. You know, he always does. I mean, this, is, this dude's a redhead. Like how dangerous can he be? Right. <laughs> Um, and, and he's, he just continues to show that he, he has the moxie. The question is, can his arm talent meet his moxie this fall? And when you, you know, I, I think I saw, I can't remember if it was at the athletic or something, but, but one of the other coaches talking about TCU said something like all oh, the receivers can't get me, can't get any separation and they're not good off the line and they're not strong enough and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, I think all of that, that is, that is probably part of the issue, but at the end of the day. Max has got to be able to throw guys open and he's got to trust that guys like Tay Barber, who have been around forever, Darius Davis has been around forever. JD Spielman, who, you know, is another highly touted guy that, that dealt with injuries last year. And then Quentin Johnston and Savion Williams. And this, this kid from Alabama, who was like a full high four-star receiver that nobody has ever heard of because he went to prep school for a year because of COVID. And I, this dude is like, like six, six, two. And I think like five eleven of them is just legs. And he, <laughs> he looks like, like a couple of pencils, like he's just skinny. But if, if you watch his film and I don't like to get too excited about high school and highlight film, if you watch his film, this kid has special hands and, and he's an elite leaper and he looks a little bit like Josh Doxson. And if that dude is 80% of Josh, then the excuses are out like this max just has to rise to the level that that he's capable of and if he does this this offense becomes uh not only competent but but kind of fun and then and again we we reiterate for all our listeners this may be a trigger warning we we don't want tcu to to, to be fun on offense it's nice when they're dysfunctional it gives us a chance uh, but sometimes sets us up for more heartbreak in the end but but the other part of of the game. I think obviously Max, we talked about does it with his arm. We know he can do it with his legs, but he is going to be sharing the backfield. And I, I don't know. We had a sim- similar situation with Sam Ellinger. With, I don't, I know he can do it, but I'd rather he didn't have to always do it uh, with running the ball. So, so that will really involve the running game. And you mentioned Zach Evans. I think all Texas fans are probably at least remotely uh, familiar with, with Zach Evans, prep superstar recruiting um, just story kind of uh, for, for better for us for, for a long time was in the news linked with Texas. Texas, um, 
as Bijan went to Texas, Zach went to, I mean, they are two of the biggest names running backs in the country. So we know that he is going to be the number one guy. Um, there are some good, good backs behind him though. In, in, uh, Di Mercado and in Kenry Miller, is he, is he for sure? I mean, is he getting 90% of the carries? Is it going to be split? Uh, is he ready to step up and take what, what are your thoughts on the backfield? You know, I, first of all, I want to, I want to talk about, talk about Zeke, you know, uh, Zach, um, he likes, he calls himself Zeke on Twitter. I go back and forth of which one, but, um, that kid just made the academic all rookie big 12 team. And, you know, for, for a kid who, um, you can't, you, you, there's always a pause when you mention his recruiting story, right? It's always unusual or weird or dramatic. Right. And, and I think, you know, he definitely made some mistakes as a 17, 18 year old kid. I mean, who hasn't right. But, the thing when he swerved hard and, and chose TCU, he knew exactly what he was getting himself into, the way he was going to be coached, the way he was going to be treated. He wasn't going to be a five-star kid. No one was going to roll out the red carpet for him. And to his credit, he is 100% bought in. Um, and not only bought in in the locker room and on the field, but in the classroom too. And I will say, um, you know, Patterson doesn't let freshmen talk to the media, never has. Um, and, and you don't hear a lot about them coming out of that locker room. I cannot tell you how many administrative staff at TCU have made a point to mention just how hard this kid has worked and how proud they are of the the person that he is and how he's gotten through some of those maturity issues. And so I think a lot of times his fans were like, Oh, this guy didn't choose my school. Oh, he's, he's a problem anyways, he's a trouble <laughs> kid. Um, and I think it's, it's really important just to to celebrate those stories because there aren't enough of them. Right. And so I think, I think he's awesome. And I'm just I like, like, I almost feel like, you know, like the big sister, like I'm just proud of this kid because I've, I've watched this story and I've watched him sign. And I just think I just think it's really, really cool um, that he's having so much success and, and he's really taking care of his business on and off the field. And I think it's going to only help him be great this fall. Um, one of the the people associated with uh, with with Texas, um, I don't want to say his name, but he writes lots of ebooks and things. And you probably could get some talking about it. I like to be a little bit of a troll online. Uh, has, has been talking a little bit about always oh, not going to be that involved or always oh, having some issues and things like that. And so I want to put it out there that everything that I've heard is, is this kid is, is handling his business and he's been a great citizen. And I hope that stays the case. Um, but, but I'm just really excited for his potential. That being said, TCU has not given a back 90% of the carries since LaDainian Tomlinson. Um, this has so often been a three-headed monster, um, to, often much to the, the chagrin of TCU fans. Um, you know, when you have an elite talent like Zach Evans, you know, like like we had with, with Kyle Hicks back in the day and Aaron Green and, and some of these other great runners to come through the program, uh, Dar- Darius Anderson, like – you just kind of, as a fan, you just like do give the hot dude the ball and let him go to work. And I think that that the fan base would love to see Zach Evans get 18 to 22 carries a game. It's just probably not going to happen. Um, I think that there'll be opportunities for him to get 18 touches because I think he's going to be used a lot more in the passing game this fall. But when you have Kendra Miller, who is a, another rising star, the, the kind of the forgotten part of that trio, and you still have DeMarque Foster, who um, you know was hurt in the, the Baylor game last year and kind of everyone forgot about. It's the kid still was a really, really highly rec- recruited kid who who made some noise in his limited action as a true freshman and was looking to to uh, to to do some really good things last fall before he got hurt. Um, you're not going to see one of those guys get the bulk of the carries, but you're hoping that Doug Meacham will at least ride the hot hand. Um, I'm convinced that Amari DeMarcado will be TC's third down back until he's dead and buried. Um, Gary Patterson loves the way that this kid plays and he loves how smart he is and how well he knows the playbook. And um, he's great in pass pro and things like that. Um, so he gets probably more snaps and opportunities than most fans would like to see, but he's just really steady and solid. He's not often going to break the 20, 
20 yard run, but he's not going to make a lot of mistakes either. So um, I think in a perfect world, Zach's getting 15 to 18 carries and, and two and three touches in the passing game. And then you got to get Miller at least, you know, eight, eight to 10, I think in most of the time. Um, and, and then you'd love to see Foster get back involved, but I think it's, you start looking at the depth and, and the way that TCU plays, it's pretty easy to see why Darwin Barlow uh, left for, for Los Angeles and, and hope, I mean, he's going to be competing now with Keontae Graham, which will be really interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I think I really like the running back room. Again, it's one of those things where all you hear from TCU coaches is how much they like each other, that it's not competitive. There's not a lot of bitterness. There's not a lot of jealousy. They all want to play. They all want to participate, but they also love to see each other succeed. And so uh, that should be the best weapon that TCU has, but you got to keep those guys happy. You got to keep the wide receivers happy. And then you got to make sure that the Duggan still knows he can run when he, when that's the best possible play, just getting him to recognize when's the right time to pull that out or not. I'm going to go on record and say I want Zach Evans to have 11 really good regular season games. He's as, And I'll just go ahead and say this. The adults around Zach Evans failed him more than Zach Evans has issues. That's That's been my opinion of the whole situation, and we can have a longer conversation about that offline. But the adults failed that young man, and I'm glad that we talked about it last year. He was going to either thrive in Gary Patterson's uh, system or he was going to struggle, and the thriving is happening, and I love – to see it. I love seeing young people get the get the second chance they deserve. And again, eleven out of twelve regular season games. Kill it, kid. And just don't don't have a good game. Don't have a good game that one week. Okay. He doesn't need to play well against Kansas. That's like the, you know, good Kendra and <laughs> Oh so, yeah, like just give him a break on that game. Oh, man. Okay. So we talked a lot about the defense. We talked our offense. We talked a lot about the offense. Um, but it's it's a TCU team, and Gary Patterson is still patrolling the sidelines. So we've got to talk about the defense. The defense um, has some holes to fill. You know, uh, Trayvon Merrick is, is gone to the next level. Ardarius Washington, um, Garrett Wallow is gone. Finally, I think that guy had been around for 15 years, it felt like. I think he and Ladanian signed in the same class. I think it's what it feels like <laughs> at this point. Um, but, like... It's a Gary Patterson team, so it's not like they're going to have a drop-off defensively. So um, what are the expectations for that group, and who's going to step up to fill um, all of the shoes that need filling? Well, you know, I think that last year what was really missing um, early in the season when when TCU just looked so dang bad, except against Texas, was um, – uh, and they actually looked really terrible against Texas too, but that, that game was so dumb. It was delightful. Um, but – there was no pass rush. And when have you seen a Gary Patterson defense where they weren't living in the backfield? I mean, this team has, has thrived off of creating pressure off of tackles for loss after breaking through and forcing, you know, quarterbacks to make bad decisions. I mean, you saw what they did. I hate to keep bringing these things up, but you know, that, that Sam Ellinger four or five interception game like that, he doesn't do that. Like, especially not his junior year, right? Like that was such a weird thing. And it was just because they were so all over the ball and so in the backfield and just making quarterbacks uncomfortable. And if you can do that consistently, you're going to win a lot of games. Um, And they didn't do that consistently the last three years, really. So I think finally, um, you know, we talked about against tech when, when there was like five first half sacks and um, the Baylor game, they, they were really, really problematic in the first half is just as far as getting to, to Charlie Brewer and making him look really, really bad. Um, if they can do those types of things, then, then it, it, it doesn't matter that your cornerbacks are on an island because in that four to five, uh, you're asking a lot of those corners if you give the quarterback time to throw. And so this on paper is 
without question, the most dynamic defensive line I've seen TCU play. Now, you can go back to, obviously, like the Jerry Hughes and the Wayne Daniels, and, and there have been some really, really elite players and th- that were really, really good at what they did. Um, but these were a lot of two-star guys that, that were running backs or, or wide receivers or other things that got converted, and it took them time to develop. Um, you have a, a legit deep, too deep, easily, potentially three deep in the middle um, roster guys that, that were born and bred to get to the quarterback. And then I just haven't seen a, a line like that. Um, back to the cheese at bowl year, Darnell Fitch, who is um, the the TCU defensive line coach and just one of the most delightful human beings on the face of the planet. You know, he, he kind of, after the game, he kind of looked at me and he was like, it's a D line that's coming. Like they're, they're going to be special. They're young, but they're special. And, and I think this is the year we're finally going to see the fruition of that. Um, you know, you've got Oshawn Mathis and Kari Coleman booking in the outside. Both of those guys are, are NFL caliber players for sure. Uh, Mathis, you know, just, just burst on the scene so big. And then he really struggled um, when, when they lost some of the other pieces on the inside. And then once Kari Coleman kind of, uh, uh, developed, then that opened up things for Mathis too. And both of those guys are capable of getting the quarterback on every single snap. Uh, Frogs get back Corey Bethley, um, who was injured in that Baylor game last year too. He's a, uh, I think he signed with Garrett Wallow and LaDainian Tomlinson. He's been around for absolutely forever. Just a really, really solid, really technically sound, really good space eater in the middle. Um, and then uh, opposite him, you're going to have Terrell Cooper. You're going to have Earl Barquette. They got Kenny Turnier from uh, Central Florida as a transfer, who's another just really – you know, again, was a kid who who had some issues, was kind of a wrong place, wrong time. Um, you know, didn't didn't conduct himself great in a sticky situation, but doesn't seem to. I mean, nobody has anything bad to say about that kid. Uh, just made kind of had a bad night, bad experience, but seems to be a, a good person who's taking advantage of a second chance. Um, and then you still have Cole Ellison, who at one time was a starter. Um, at the end position, Dylan Horton, who that kid, I saw him for the first time on the field against Louisiana Tech the last game last year. And I was it was the only game I got to be uh, down on the field taking pictures at. And I looked up and I was like, who is that like basketball center playing <laughs> defensive end for TCU? And that was Dylan Horton, who was a New Mexico transfer, who was a linebacker, who started as a safety. And they just got that dude in the weight room and he grew like three inches and he put on like 75 pounds of muscle and he He's terrifying, just <laughs> looks absolutely terrifying. And so uh, if these guys develop and you get George Ellis and you get Patrick Jenkins and you, and you get Jaquez Sorrells, who is another transfer, all of a sudden this defensive line is the deepest unit I've seen in a really, really long time. Uh, and when TCU has depth and Patterson can be cycling guys in and out to keep them fresh, that's when they're at their absolute best defensively. And so, again, looks really, really great on paper. But until we see it in action – who knows what they're going to be. But I, I think that this is a really, really strong unit. Um, Linebacker-wise, D. Winters uh, comes back. That He's an all-big 12 player in the making, was absolute star alongside Wallow. The question is going to be is who's going to be next to him. You know, is it going to be Wyatt Harris? Is it going to be Jamoy Hodge, who's a, who's another transfer, um, a, a JUCO kid? Uh, is it going to be um, uh, Shadrach Banks? who uh, transferred from AM as a wide receiver, but I, everything I've heard is that they're going to convert him into a linebacker <laughs> and that he's going to be filthy. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Gerald has a look of fear on his face. Um, that, that I think hopefully is justified. Uh, if he can play as a, as a, I mean, I guess he's technically a freshman. He, he's scary. He's going to be really, really good. Um, Noah Daniels comes back off the injury that that dude was getting first round grades before he got hurt. Uh, he's a great cornerback and across from him is Travis Hodges Tomlinson, who despite the fact that the, that the poor kid's like five, seven, um, has made himself into an all big 12 and potential all American candidate. 
Uh, and then at safety, um, a lot of guys that have played a lot of football but haven't been asked to be the guy at TCU. Uh, Nook Bradford was great when he came in um, uh, as an injury replacement last year. Kendrick Van Zant had that that interception at Texas and it made one of the most boneheaded plays I've ever seen at the end of it. Um, but he's nothing but talent. And he seems to always be around the ball. He, he's just an interception magnet. Uh, and then TJ Carter comes over from Memphis, uh, an experienced safety who was a four-year starter, who was a, an all-rookie uh, AAC member um, and, and has a lot of potential, again, just to study and solidify the position. I'm most excited about Bug Clark uh, as a four-star uh, recruit that, that came in who played just a little bit last year as a, as a true freshman, but certainly looks the part. Um, of, a, of an elite college safety. And so if he can beat out one of those guys and get on the field, I think he has a he has potential to be a really, really great player this year for TCU. There, there's a reason why most of the schools in the Big 12 are like going after Shadrach Banks, because if you have a guy who runs like a wide receiver at 230, like 6'1", 230 coming in, like top top one top 115, 120 recruit as a receiver, and just he doesn't have a receiver body. You're built like a linebacker, so eat your way up to 230 and just play linebacker and be really fast and be perfect for the Big 12. So, yeah, it's I'm I'm still I that that one is going to terrify me like throughout the rest of probably the next four years. Well, what's you know what's really interesting is that we bring in Shadrack Banks, a wide receiver to play linebacker, and then Marcel Brooks who was a former, you know, high four-star linebacker has moved to wide receiver this offseason, apparently. So I don't know what's happening. I don't know if either of them will work out this year, but if nothing else, it's going to be kind of an entertaining and very, very fast disaster. <laughs> you know what? Those are the best kinds of disasters. May not, may not be good, but at least it'll be fun. Yes. That, you know, that, that's actually a, an unintentionally perfect segue. It may not be good, but it will always uh, be fun. The last three years have been fun, interesting. Uh, maybe not what would be up to Gary Patterson's lengthy uh, and, and lofty standard that he said is good. I think over the past three seasons, he's just a game over 518-17, I believe. Um, it, that, that's not TCU standard under Gary Patterson. That isn't what the expectation is for a guy who uh, has made it to the BCS with varying, uh, you know, groups of, of talent. And this seems to be a pretty talented team. So what is the expectation this year? What will you say uh, is a measure of success? If they hit this, if it's a, if it's a bowl, if it's a win total, whatever you can make the answer tailored, however you want, but what, what would you define as success? You know, I'm actually working on an article on this right now of kind of really examining like, what can we expect? Um, you know, TCU has been so good for so long, but we're 10 years removed from the Rose bowl. You know, we're several years removed from the last season of, of truly competing for a conference championship. Um, haven't been to a New Year's Six Bowl um, since the Peach Bowl in, in 2014. And so you have to start to weigh of, of, you know, what where have we gotten spoiled by success versus what is a school like TCU truly capable of season after season? I mean, less than 10,000 undergrads more money than God, obviously. So like investment isn't an issue, but this is still a private university coming off of a pandemic year. And, and I think that even the wealthiest of colleges saw the bottom line hurt by, by what we all experienced over the last 15, 16 months and, and are still experiencing. Um, it Vegas, I think put the line at, at six and a half or seven and a half. Um, I would be disappointed with anything less than eight. 
Um, to me, you start with your first four games at home. You've got a chance to, to play a, a solid Cal team, um, but you get that's a game you got to win. Uh, you get SMU, that's probably the best SMU team that TCU's seen in the Gary Patterson era. Um, you get them at home. They won the last Iron Skillet game. Uh, that That's a game you've got to get a win. And if SMU goes and does what we all expect them to do the rest of the way, that can become a really, really good win for you. Um, I think the, the way the schedule lines up is, is going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenging run, but they played 10 straight games last year without a bye week. At least they have a little bit more balance this season. So um, getting, you know, having to go to the Oklahoma schools is never easy, but you get Texas at home, you get West Virginia at home and you get Baylor at home. Um, so you got to win your home games and you got to be, you got to win a game you shouldn't win, right? Like that's the, the key to success, at least one of those games. And, and when I was kind of doing my, my preseason um, big 12 ballot for, for media days, I kept trying to figure out like who are the bad teams in this league this year? Like obviously pencil and Kansas at 10, it's easy, but, but if, but if Texas tech has a good quarterback and Sonny Cumbie, there's one thing I'll say about him is he can develop a quarterback. I don't know if he can call plays in games, but he can develop a quarterback and, and Wells has built a pretty good defense there. And they're always going to have wide receivers because it's Texas tech. So, you know, they're not going to be terrible. Oklahoma state is going to take a step backwards, but they're still, they're never going to not be competitive. They're never not going to be hard to beat at home. Um, you know, I think Baylor's going to be better. I think in Aranda's second year, I think they're still, they're going to have probably start a really young and experienced quarterback. So that obviously hurts. Kansas state is, is always going to be a problematic, especially in the little apple, but that's, I mean, that's one of those games you got to go win. Um, and then I don't know what to make of West Virginia at all. I have zero idea how, what they're going to be. And I don't think anybody does, including West Virginia fans, but, um, you know, you're looking at Oklahoma, Iowa State to me is, is the clear front runners in that league as far as talent and experience and coaching. And then it's going to come down to, to which team gets it done. Is it Oklahoma State? Is it Texas? Is it TCU? Uh, or is it, is it, you know, somebody that kind of rises up and surprises like a, like a Baylor or West Virginia or Kansas State, you know, or, or you know, maybe Shuck is the second coming and, and Texas Tech takes the big leap. But uh, that, that third through five to me is, is a pretty even even playing field. And so it can, it, this is the year I think that, that fans have been pointing to for the last, like in the, in their three years of kind of wandering in the abyss. Uh, and if, if TCU doesn't get not only bowl eligible, but plays in a respectable bowl game, I, I think that there's the pitchforks may not be coming out, but they're getting dusted off and oiled up, you know, like, like fans are going to start getting frustrated. 21 and 22 are kind of the two years where all the pieces are in, are in place to, to compete for a Big 12 title. And if you're playing at Iowa State on Black Friday and that game doesn't mean something, then then that, I think, to me, is a, is a failed season. It feels like every four years, though, like TCU jumps up and wins like 11, right? Like, that's what it feels like. It, they're, they're due for the four-year bump, right? And that's just – that maybe that's just me and, and my PTSD as it relates to TCU as of <laughs> late. But, like, every four years is just like TCU is kicking the crap out of everybody. But – We'll know everything we need to know by October because you get September 25th, SMU at home, October 2nd, Texas at home, and then you go to Texas Tech and to Oklahoma. If you go three and one in those games, then all of a sudden you're thinking that TCU is going to be playing Iowa State for a chance at the the Big 12 championship potentially. If you go two and two, now you're just kind of hoping for a nine-win season, right? If you go one and three, it's over over it's done you, you haven't you've, you've lost your expectation before the season's really even begun gary patterson needs another sweat towel if that happens that's what it <laughs> is <laughs> all right so 
let's move on to from from the football stuff to the fun stuff. So um, every year we 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 don't really even need to prepare you for this. You're just you're that fluid. But we wouldn't prepare you for this part either way. Um, and so our shooting from the hip. We finally came up with a name that we don't hate. We hated last year's name, and it's fine. But shooting from the hip is what we're going to call it. Asking you some questions just. Just to get a feel for where you're at. So shooting from the hip, Melissa, if you had to pick one, uh, the Iron Skillet or the Revivalry, which one is the rival, the rivalry you have to have? You could got to pick one of the two. I, I wrote an article Friday about this. Um, I, I will say a, a highly placed official in the TCU Athletics Department responded to my tweet in a DM with not a rivalry, referring to SMU. I'm not going to say wow. who it was. Wow. I'm going to say it's somebody that has a, has a, has an opinion that, that deserves to have an opinion. Um, I was around long enough to care about the SMU game, but until SMU is competitive, it just, it, it doesn't matter as much. Um, I want that trophy back. Damn it. But losing to <laughs> Baylor, um, that stays with me a lot longer than losing to SMU. So I, I think, I think annually uh, owning the revivalry is, is probably the most important thing to most, to me and to, to most fans right now. Understandable. And as, as someone who has a, a longstanding rivalry with a team that they've won like 75% of their games, um, <laughs> it, it just gets boring. Like we did with A&M, we kicked them out because they couldn't compete with us. I'm a bit of revisionist history, but nonetheless, uh, <laughs> I get how it goes. So uh, Melissa, I want to switch you off of, off of the football pitch and, and, and more, I guess, into the locker room, the playlist. Can you, for me, either lay out all of or rank, uh, as you've heard them, all of Gary Patterson's country songs? And if you could give his country uh, music artistry a score from 1 to 10. I uh, know how much Gary loves um, his performing and how important it is to him. And so I'm going to give him a 10 just so I nice. don't slow back. Nice. Um, 10 plus. <laughs> give him a 12. Um, he, for a guy that doesn't read anything, he knows a lot of things we say. A lot. I'm just saying that. Just, he knows a lot. Um, I have only heard two. He's only released two songs. Um, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, but but he performed two new ones at Billy Bob's last Wednesday. I was not there for it. Oh, um, unfortunately, I missed out. But I did see some things on Twitter of him doing Brown Eyed Girl, and I have to say it's pretty good. Um, take a step back is 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 a perfectly fine country song, right? Like it's it's a good song. It's there's nothing bad about the performance, the the guitar, the singing. It's all very very acceptable. Game on, game on is terrible. It is a <laughs> bad song. I'm very listening, I am so sorry. Um, it's only because I don't like that type of country music. It's the very much we made this with the hopes that ESPN will use it in a college game day commercial. Like that is hundred yep. percent what that song was written for. And it's cute and it's fun. And I'm sure we're going to hear it in the stadium this fall. And that's all well and good. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm interested to hear his, his two more. I, th I think he's coming out with enough music to have like a, an EP that wouldn't suck. Um, so I don't think that, I don't think that he's like writing his retirement plans here musically, but I think that he's, not embarrassing himself at all. Right. And like, that's all you can ask for from a college football coach is like when you open your mouth to, to sing or to speak or whatever else, just don't embarrass yourself. And um, I think he's acquitted himself quite nicely in his second career and he's having fun. And if that makes him happy and a little bit less tough on everybody else, then I'm here for it. The softer side of Gary Patterson. I love it. Well, there's Gary and there's coach P. So he will tell you that. And his wife will tell you that too. It's Gary and coach P. So with the more country he sings, the more we see Gary. I love it. 
Awesome. Okay, so yeah, we're going to be a list of three things. And if you have to take one of these back, like you have to pick from one of these three of what you're going to get back. Which would it be? Chris Del Conte as the athletic director, the fourth quarter of the TCU Baylor game from 2014, or the horns down in game one of the regular season uh, TCU Texas baseball series this year. Which which one would that? Which one would you rather see uh, erased from from memories? <laughs> With, with this is no contest like i'd want that fourth quarterback more than anything in the entire world if you tell me that there is one moment of any tcu sporting event that i can change i can't pick anything but that like del conti is is obviously is great and wonderful and he's done a lot of good things you guys could keep him um that that horns down was funny um but you know at the end of the day we still split the regular season title and we took the tournament championship and then we got embarrassed on our home field in the regionals before our coach touched tail and ran to college station you guys i don't know if you noticed but not a whole lot of current players saying a lot of nice things about jim on his way out of town i don't know if anyone saw that or former players for that matter i think we're going to be fine um but that fourth quarter like i i still to this day it has been seven years like six, seven years, wake up in a cold sweat, just thinking like, damn it, like it was pass interference or why can't we run the ball? Like, I, I still like, I, you don't get over it. Like you don't like, I mean, you guys probably know that feeling from Michael Crabtree, right? Like when you know you, and maybe it doesn't matter as much for Texas fans because yeah, or the shoulder, the Colt McCoy, like Maybe it doesn't matter as much because you guys have, have been on the mountaintop. You know, when you're TCU and your opportunities are so few and far between and you know that you you can be a, a whisker away from from getting invited to the big dance, but that you're you're going to have to be right up next to it to get like there's no there's no margin for error. And, and to have a team that was that good and that fun to watch and that special and to know on December 6th that I was going to get my, or December 4th, whatever it was, I was going to get my heart broken. I knew it. Like I knew it all day. Like I, yeah, I, I would, if you can tell me I can change one event in history, like that's okay. One of sports event in history, not, not yeah. stupid, but or selfish, but yeah, that's uh that's the one without question. There was a viral ahead, tweet like a month ago that was like, is it, is it easier to get over actual heartbreak or sports heartbreak? And like, Sports heartbreak is at, like I've gotten over every X, but I will never. Michael Crabtree, <laughs> Colt McCoy's shoulder, I Derek, Derek Fisher hitting the shot against the Spurs in the fi- like in the Western Conference Finals. Well, These Michael, I'll never get over. Up for one hand for a rebound, going up with one hand for a rebound and tipping it back to Big Shot Bob. <laughs> never, never get over it. That was twenty years ago. Still get me without that for, without fourth quarter not existing. You'd never have the little sisters of the poor billboards. You have to, you know, you have to to turn lemons into lemonade. Yeah, but but <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We haven't had the sugar since 2014. <laughs> it's it's just sour lemons. You know, we've we've mixed it in with some other stuff. We had we had the run to the Big 12 championship. We had two really dramatic Alamo bowls. But you're telling me you wouldn't give any of that up to have a chance? To, and I to, I swear TC would have won. <laughs> We would have won the whole thing. We would have been national champions that year. You, you cannot. There were other good teams, but I'm telling you right now, TC would have coasted to a national championship the same way Ohio State did. My wife is a Baylor bear, and she has the same opinion about if Baylor would have got in. So you know, it is the ultimate, the ultimate what if. Baylor was not playing as well at the end <laughs> as TC was. We saw how, we saw how that worked out in the New Year Six games. We saw whose team came ready to play and whose team acted like they were sad little kids. 
<laughs> I'm going to get both of y'all on this podcast because I just want to sit back and watch. Um, the <laughs> two women who I respect very, very much, I might add, um, in, in case she's listening. Uh, let's take it out of the past because those are wounds. And we, we, we want to move into a little bit more current. Recently, there has been every person associated with college football has sat back in wonderment and amazement as the name and image likeness uh, has been rolled out. And it's just crazy and and. I, we won't fully have our arms wrapped around what this is going to look like. No one, not the players, not the institutions, not the companies, not those of us who cover it um, for a while. But if you could, sitting there as the managing editor of Frogs of War, take any TCU athlete in any era, imagining them in school at this moment when name and image likeness uh, came out, and have them make a call it a video pitch uh if, if it's you know someone from before video was invented that that you know we'll, we'll add we'll ad lib but a video pitch for frogs of war who would it be and what would they say that's a really really great question man like if we could you know if, if sb nation all of a sudden decided to give us a budget right you know <laughs> and to allow us to operate like a real business if we could do our own name image likeness uh, uh organization here and you know profit off of the all the work that we do um <laughs> take this down a different path. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to go into the deep past um, because I think that my emotional connection started when I was a student. Right. And so, um, you know, obviously LaDainian Tomlinson would be up there just because that, that was the first like TCU. I was contemporary with him in college, not in athletics um, or athleticism, but, um, <laughs> but that, that's a dude that, you know, and I've gotten talked to him several times and interview him. And every time I just like, it's so emotional. It's so gratifying for me. Um, that's not the direction I would go. Um, I think that the guy that I would most want to see talking for TCU for frogs of war representing us is, is Jerry Hughes. Um, Jerry came and spoke to, uh, did a zoom with, uh, with one of my, uh, one of the classes on my campus last year. And that dude was funny and he was charming and he, uh, he just had so many great things to say. And he was so uh, genuine, um, while still being really entertaining. And so like, if I want someone representing frogs of war worldwide, like that's probably the dude I want doing it. Um, the other thing that I immediately thought of, cause I thought you were going to go a different direction and like what, what partnership would I have matched up? And the immediate thing that came to mind and, you know, obviously his off the field stuff became an issue, but Kevante Turpin doing like Uber eats. You know, like he's just all yes. about quickness and speed and like he's a little dude so he probably is not going to eat all your food before he gets there and so yeah that was that was kind of the first thing that i thought of is like i could totally see turp time turpentine time being like you know with with uber eats or, or something like that or, or, or jimmy john so fast you'll freak they don't even have to change the slogan he's right there already there yeah so those would be the thing yeah but but jerry's a great dude um andy dalton just because i still just <laughs> forever love the red rifle but but yeah or you know what i would love actually i'm gonna take it back i'm gonna rewind this whole thing i'm gonna take it back i just want gary patterson to say one nice thing publicly about us that's it <laughs> <laughs> if he's paid to he has to <laughs> one yeah just i i, I really thought you know the, the first thing that i saw um come up was brock purdy and I desperately knew it for on cameo and it was like $40 and I, Jamie and I almost split the cost to send, um, have Brock Purdy do a cameo that said if Max Duggan had played the whole game against Iowa state, TC would have won. That said that to <laughs> Levi Stevenson, the, the managing editor of wide right now, um, just to piss him off, but I didn't do it. And I, I, I think I might, so I don't know if you're listening to this, but if so, um, I'm not, would never do such a thing ever. It's beautiful. Yeah. Said it anonymously. Who did this? You know. <laughs> 
that's, that's amazing. I, that's the best part about the cameo thing. An OU fan tried to get uh, tried to get Bijan Robinson to do it, say Boomer sooner, and he got he started to say it and then stopped himself. And he would said really he said really nice things about OU, which was weird. Um, it's fine. He's still young. Anything for a dollar, man. These kids are all gonna sell out, and you know what? I don't blame them one bit. Make your money, dude. Get that Absolutely. back. Like, I, I kind of laughed when um, you know Spencer Rattler put out that that graphic and was like, you know, we all need to take advantage or we need to, you know, give back to the community. And this is a good opportunity for us. And then the first thing he does is signs with Canes. Are you really eating Canes as an elite college athlete, buddy? Like, like it was a little disingenuous. I don't know. I don't know, Spencer. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, he could he could have chosen a better chicken place. Also, like that's I have opinions about raising Canes and the lack of seasoning, but it's another conversation for another day. Elite, elite, the best, like w- one of the best sauces to me in all of fast food dumb. The chicken and fries, garbage. Again, Raising Cane's, if you're listening to this, we will appreciate your name and image I- likeness on this very <laughs> podcast. But if you're not, uh, yes, season the dang chicken. Throw some Tony Chasseries on it. It's cheap, it's easy, and then everyone will be happy. But to have to have sauce to be able to eat the chicken or otherwise it's entirely bland, come on. And the fries. Like, I love a good crinkle cr- cut fry. Unfortunately, that's not what Raising Cane's is offering me. They're offering me a soggy that's been sitting in styrofoam underneath the chicken. I will die for their Texas toast. I love it. It's yes. beautiful. It's brilliant. Yes. Like, yes. but no, no, I don't like, I don't want to hear it. Like give me Popeye's all day. I want it. I want it handed to me angrily by someone who has just been there too long and yes. doesn't want to see me. Like I just Popeye's all day, like Chick-fil-A is so problematic for so many reasons, but dang it. I love a waffle fry. I love it mm-hmm. so much, mm-hmm. but you know, but, but I, I will go there for the sauce alone, but yeah, it's, it's, it's always underwhelming. But again, if you want to sponsor us, I also can be bought. I am, I am as, as a college athlete. I will change my mind for, for any dollar amount. And if and if and if any Sooners do listen uh, to this podcast, which I'm sure, um, uh, do feel free to to reach out to us for 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 cameos. Uh, we don't have an account yet, but uh, if we get one, um, and we will gladly take your money. The same way that Gerald and I feel appreciative every time a Sooner buys a a Longhorn uh, merchandise that's that's trademarked to turn it upside down and sends money to the University of Texas. Continue to send those hard earned dollars to University of Texas athletes. That's uh, we're we're never mad about that. We should all start cameos and charge like ninety. Sense. I love, I love it. it. I love that. That should be kind of funny. Like the SB Nation cameo portal. I, 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 I'm here for it. It'll get ridiculous very quick and I'm all here for it. Very, 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 very quick. That's, I think it's our million dollar idea, but uh, <laughs> I don't even know where to go from there. Who's going to get a million subscriptions for the three of us? I mean, you know, like I love your confidence, but like I think it's our $3 idea. And- I'm going to say it's a $100 idea over the course of a Three years. <laughs> I, okay, now we have to test it. We have to see if we can raise a hundred dollars by doing ninety-nine cent cameos over a three-year period. If we can't, we are not like. <laughs> I we talk hundred dollars gross or hundred dollars of whatever cameo doesn't take. Like that's the I don't know what the business model for cameo is. Hundred dollars. We just need a hundred recordings. Research is needed. We'll come back with a business plan. We will. We will have the, the the stats. We'll understand the cut, and we will. We will. We will make this thing a reality uh, for SB Nation Big Twelve. Immediately going gross profit. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, of all the stuff we've talked about on this podcast, the Raisin Cane's opinions might be the ones that get us canceled. Kyle, we had we had strong opinions last year when all that craziness happened, but the Raisin Cane's opinions, people get mad about Raisin Cane's, and I just don't, I don't get it, but. Tweet us at Levi. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's a war is at, the official. At wide right. 
Now yeah, the- give it, yeah, given all the stats of war, Parker just, that dude loves trolling people way too much. Like, someone's like, buddy, like, no. <laughs> write your dissertation. Parker, if you're listening, write your dissertation. Turn this off, write your dissertation. <laughs> Parker probably will be listening, and then he'll be telling, he'll be taking notes of all the things I said that were incorrect, and then he'll be able to tell me why they were incorrect, and then. I don't know how he feels about raising Kane, so that's really all that matters. Write your dissertation, Parker. But thank you, Melissa. If people want more of this, because they should, they absolutely should, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at the Coach Melissa on Twitter. Uh, I, listen, this is so shallow, and, and it's completely and totally meaningless, and I'm not defined by my, by my followers. But I've been sitting at like 1993 for a year. I really want to hit 2,000. So please, seven Longhorn fans, Follow me and mute me. I don't care. I just want to see that nice round number that I've been wanting for so long. And I want, I just really want that blue check mark. I think if I get 2000, it could happen. Anyways. So at the coach Melissa is where you can follow me and then mute me, whatever, block me. I don't care. Um, and then at frogs of war, obviously in frogs of war.com. Um, we're, we're trying to ramp back up after some time off and, and get some great content out there. We've got a great cast of writers, um, no matter what your sport is, but I think we do a great job covering TCU football. Um, and I would say that our basketball and baseball coverage is the best available for TCU fans. So, um, for sure. So, um, yeah, so, so give us a read, give us a listen. We'll be talking lots about, uh, Texas coming up here in the next couple of weeks and, and, uh, looking forward to, to that being, I think the first big 12 game of the season so it'll it'll kick us off right or set us back wrong (laughs) absolute pleasure as always melissa we should have you on once every two months just uh it makes gerald and i's job very easy when someone is as talented as you thank you as always oh i absolutely always love coming on the show with you guys and listen don't tell me what me on every two months like i'm here for it so i'll I'll, I'll start becoming an expert on texas football too and you know yeah i can be bought very cheap Uh, 99 cent appearance fee i'll do it all through cameo right right well it's a win-win it's a win-win so i always appreciate you guys having me on and and it's always a blast to talk with you guys and um maybe maybe we do a post gamer after the uh texas tcu game maybe we do just a little instant reaction this year i don't know Depending how the score is, that sounds like maybe a good idea. <laughs> if you guys win, I have a feeling I'll be getting that phone call. If we win, I who I am until next July. <laughs> oh, Melissa, oh, thank, you, thank so much. you so much. All right, Jared, let's now look back at things orange. Burn Orange Lenses, we're going to take a look at all things UT uh, around the world of sports through orange colored lenses. And we have uh, a, a couple players who um, have UT ties here who took part. They are not quite uh, University of Texas uh, student-athletes yet, but uh, two highly touted, highly written about, spoken about, read, researched, broken down players of the quarterback position. Uh, there were 11 elite ones. Actually, I think there was like 20 uh, <laughs> at the Elite 11. Uh, but there are two in particular that I feel like everyone's eyes uh, were on now, You know whether... Uh, you want to talk about the other players who may have gone to College Station or, or left Austin to go to Clemson. Uh, people may have checked that out too. But two players, head-to-head, in the Elite 11 competition, Texas commit Malik Murphy and former Texas commit Quinn Ewers, uh, were given unofficial rankings. And by all accounts, the player who came out on top out of those two. And this is clearly the most decisive of rankings and means everything in the world. Malik Murphy, uh, by a lot of counts, second, third uh, of the Elite 11 uh, best showing across three days. Um, Gerald, what do you what, what do you make of this? What do you think of uh, Malik 
greater than sign Ewers, as I wrote it in the show notes, and I, I, I feel, it, feel it in my heart and on the tattoo inside of my wrist. I mean, it depends on whose rankings you look at, whether or not Malik was ahead of Quinn Ewers. And Malik was very, very high on like the, the accuracy day, which was shocking, because that's never been yeah. uh, highlighted as his, uh, his forte. Uh, he's always been physical tools and arm strength guy. Um, but the, like, the fact that four tex- quarterbacks from the state of Texas uh, made the Elite 11, plus Malik, who is, we're going to claim him as a Texan, even though he's from California, um, is a guy who we really, uh, we really, like, it's just, it's nuts to think about the, the amount of talent that comes out of the state of Texas and, and the 2022 class is just nuts for quarterbacks in the state. So, um, but again, Malik, even, you know, there, there's, there's all this hand wringing about Quinn Ewers or Cade Klubinick or Connor Wiegman or, or Evers and, and like, Texas landed a good one, right? Like, regardless of how they all shake out, Texas landed a good one. Um, and, you know, there were other options for people to commit, and, and Malik pulled the trigger first, and you want the guy that wants to be there. So I'm, I'm down for it. You give him a guy that – and hopefully he has an opportunity to back a couple of guys up for a, a few years and develop under uh, Sark and, um, you know, his, his offensive system, learn it and get good and, and have the physical tools to be incredible. I appreciate that while I went juvenile, you, you gave the academic and correct response. Um, but uh, speaking of, of juvenile, speaking of young uh, <laughs> athletes, we are going to talk a little bit, Gerald, right now about the, the, the world that we are viewing and understanding and you and I being a bit older are trying to comprehend uh, uh, than these these 18 to 22 year olds which who seem much you know more astute and credit to Texas uh, obviously for getting them ready for this um, but the name and image likeness rights we've joked about it we've talked about it we've tweeted about it we've all been uh, enraptured and entertained uh, with what's been going on but we'll just do a little rundown and maybe maybe we'll give updates periodically we'll see how this goes and, and what the next couple months uh, look like but it, but it's an interesting time an unprecedented time a landmark time in college athletics and so in the burn orange lenses let's let's take a look at the name and image likeness roundup um one of the first texas players to immediately announce and benefit from this was uh a high profile one uh, potentially the best player maybe uh on on the ut team there's a lot of good ones but uh, Bijan robinson very quickly announced his uh his availability on cameo for for a brief uh or for a i should say light uh fee of a hundred dollars um do you want to break these down one by one or look at it holistically joe because there's a lot to talk about but i don't want to spend 30 minutes talking about it what do you what, yeah. what do you think about the the guys uh in the first week basically of, of nil I mean, I think Cameo was like, I said it on Twitter, like Cameo is the lowest hanging fruit of this, right? Just like put yourself out there, charge whatever you want, right? A hundred bucks or I think Spencer Rattler did like 120 or 130, whatever, it's fine. Um, but like the I, the ones that really jumped out to me um, were um, Xavier Worthy has apparently his own clothing line that he, he mm. has just, he had, a, he had a literal flash sale um, on things of his flash clothing line, which I think is great. Um, and then the, the three guys that partnered with Last Hand, Last Hand Hat, um, DeMarvin Overshone, Josh Thompson, um, and, and Roshan Johnson were all guys that came out immediately from Jump Street were partnered with Last Hand Hat. A guy, a guy that we just love as, you know, Mike's just a great dude. Uh, but I love seeing them 
um, partner with a small business and partner with a, a guy who's really like Mike's a Texas fan. And so I love mm-hmm. seeing them find a guy who's willing to help um, build a brand with them is something that I really appreciate about that partnership and, you know, them being able to go go public with it. Uh, you and I obviously are really partial to the to the the way the offensive line is handling it. Um, we talked about it a little bit on Tuesday, but them creating a group kind of situation because the O-linemen, that's really where um, you're going to find your, um, your, your big money. And so the way that they're cr- trying to create it sustainably where, like, the senior graduates, right? Like next year, Junior Ankulau graduates and the next guy slides right into his spot and is able to um, get a piece of the pie. And, and that that is smart. And I love, you know, I'm not shocked that players at the University of Texas are smart, but it's, it's incredible to see that they're making these wise decisions early in this process. I do feel bad for Sam Ellinger. A, a year uh, later, or a year earlier with NIL, I should say, uh, and the man probably is a millionaire. Uh, he makes Shaq money in college, you know. Um, that's a joke about Shaq getting paid. Uh, Sam Ellinger, you know, would have been one of the most profitable NIL athletes in the country just because for four years being a star to the whole city of Austin, knew him, loved him. There's no brand that would not want to be represented by him. He'll go do well, obviously, now that he can represent things in the NFL for the Indianapolis Colts. But um, I, I just think if you think of the all-time guys who missed, obviously Vince it could have been huge, Colton, Jordan. Uh, could have done great. Uh, you know, there's some personalities for sure over the years. I, you know, would have I would have paid my own money uh, to see uh, to see uh, you know Quan Cosby or or uh, the Clemens kids in baseball or or PJ Tucker. Uh, just some of these guys with with great personalities uh, doing it. But one that was interesting that we we talk a lot about football is I saw Lauren Burke from Texas Softball partnered with uh, Barstool has like an athlete uh, ready as it launched with NIL uh, Network, and she joined that. And so it's just interesting. It'll be very curious to see. I mean, like you have the number one women's soccer player came to Texas is is going to be representing the national team a lot while in college. Um, and, and Lexi, um, um, Lexi Missimo. And so, um, I am, I am curious to see not just football, but how it trickles down to all, and I shouldn't say trickle down, how it bubbles up from all the other sports. Uh, football is king at Texas. We know that football, Texas football is king in college sports. We know that. Um, but you know, all of the other sports, there's going to be a really, really interesting market and, and to see where, where some of these great athletes, um, Olympians and, and the track and, and swimming, especially and all these, uh, things where they, where they shake out, uh, in this, in the, in the coming days. So keep an eye on this space. We will, we will, uh, cover as it, as it is, I don't know, it'll be a recurring segment. We'll cover it as appropriate. It's going to be fun. I'm still mad that the international students can't profit. That totally torpedo our NIL plan. Let's just be real here. Absolutely. As your favorite punter's favorite podcast, uh, we uh, <laughs> we are, are are hampered here because obviously we know that, that UT gets their pick of the best Australian punter in the world uh, each two to three years. And so, or I should say the best uh, Australian uh, pipeline punter, one who is not already in the NFL or in college ranks, um, and just kind of handpicks the, the the pro kick Australia number one, um, and and we uh, have featured some of those on the podcast, and we have we have big upped for for others, Mike Dixon and Isaac Pearson, and we, we you know we're big Bushevsky uh, stands and fans here, so um, we need to get that figured out um, because the Aussie pipeline to Texas is strong, and we need our our our, our punters, uh, punters are people too. You know, and, and that's important that the NCAA understands that. All right, let's take a look now. Uh, just a couple other sports uh, in, in the NBA. PJ Tucker 
playing the NBA Finals. Um, you're listening to this as it comes out uh, on Thursday, so Game Two will be going on. But uh, we're all rooting for the Bucks, or at least we are all rooting for PJ Tucker. Even if you want the Suns to win, you want PJ Tucker. Come on, Longhorns winning championships. So just a reminder: we got Longhorns playing for the prize uh, in in the the existing college freshman or uh, college athletes. Excuse me, representing the the greater uh, good. We have uh, Team USA, USA Baseball Collegiate National Team will be competing uh, this month in July. And freshman pitchers Aaron Nixon and Tanner Witt both represented there. So pretty big when we talked about you know Texas. Baseball had a great run, but has a lot to build on. These are two names that we were talking about and focusing on, and guys who I think are, are going to you know make Longhorns proud uh, this month representing uh, USA Baseball. Keep up the good work. Let's start to your changes of the world, fellas. Keep up the good work. I love it. And then finally, we've had some additional Olympians. We've decided we're just going to uh, give one grand uh, roll-up about probably a week uh, before the Olympics uh, kick off, we don't want to leave out the 2015 All-American uh, hurdler. Uh, Melissa Gonzalez will represent Colombia in the 400-meter hurdles in Tokyo. So we, uh, we're going to get a grand count for you of how many Longhorns across how many sports and give you a tracker, a, a what to watch and who to watch uh, before the Olympics kick off because there's, uh, there's a lot and, uh, and a lot of good ones. So uh, not just representing USA, but representing multiple countries. We'll get you a full breakdown on that in com- coming weeks. That's it. Let's go on to the final segment for our Thursday show. The Godzilla Tron. Joe, what are you watching on your giant screen? So I had a weirdly strong streaming week. I don't know how it worked out, uh, but I got, I got to watch quite a bit. My wife and I, my wife apparently had found this out better part of a decade into my marriage. My wife had never seen Independence Day, so we remedied that real quick. Um, <laughs> I, I blame her parents, but it's fine. Uh, so we watched that, and it was beautiful, uh, as it always was, and she loved it. And I'll just go and say this. There's some of that movie that's really bad, but when it's good, it's really, really good. And, like, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum are just absolutely incredible throughout that movie, and I just I can't uh, say that enough. She and I also um, caught Raya and the Last Dragon, because my son wanted to watch it, and I'm leery of letting uh, my four-year-old watch a Disney movie before I do, because, like, there's, like, I don't want to explain to him, like, death and, like, parental trauma. He's four. I want to let him continue to be innocent for a little bit. And, again, Disney movies always are like, here's some parent trauma to start off with. But it was good. It was fun. Um, I enjoyed it. It was, the visuals were really, really cool. Uh, And then... This is, is this is the one that's going to take some some building up to. Uh, Netflix is dropping R.L. Stein adaptations of the Fear Street books from like the '90s, where it was like his young adult imprint. He did Goosebumps for the little kids, and then he did Fear Street for the young adults. And I never got to read those books because um, the satanic panic of the mid to late 90s right my parents my dad was my parents did not let let that stuff in the house but uh, i was always intrigued by it and i also have a uh, strong affinity towards 90s slasher movies don't like horror movies but i like 90s like i like scream like streams on probably my top five movies of all time urban legend like these movies are you know, parts of pop culture for anybody that's of our age group and so um i sat down and watched this it's styled like a 90s slasher movie and I wouldn't call it good, but I enjoyed it. Like, that was the best way. I, like, there's nothing I would say is good about it. And I think they tried a little too hard to be, like, edgy. Like, it was one of those movies that was either going to be, like, a really dark PG-13 or, like, kind of a, a soft R. And so, like, let's just go hard R, as hard as we can. And I was like, why are you trying to be so edgy? I'm not a big fan of that. So, again, if that's your thing, do it. If not, like, you're not missing anything. Um, so that was, that was my week of streaming, and it was uh, varied. 
You never go hard, R. But Gerald, I'll say um, you uh, you watched a lot, and I I appreciate that. But I basically just cleared out the paint for you to thrive, uh, as you did. I, I, I opening the kimono here, folks. You know that uh, Westcott wonderfully filled in uh, for me as as co-host while I was out of town uh, a couple episodes ago, and uh, and I have been a bit busy. Uh, like I said, was in Mexico for a week. Uh, came back, had a, actually a, a wedding my wife was in, so was immediately thrust into that upon landing. Um, had to pack an entire house and uh, and move. So I have literally watched nothing. I have I have I have watched nothing on my giant screen. I've moved a couple screens. Uh, I've wished at times they were smaller uh, so I could carry them. No, it wasn't the TVs that were heavy. It was all the multitude uh, of other boxes. But uh, I am I am finally settling in. I will come prepared to this section with, with something a little bit more. Basically, all that I have streamed uh, in any content from, from a media perspective over the past week or two weeks uh, has been like soothing like uh, 70s rock or, 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 or um, soul playlists to, to help uh, invigorate me and, and motivate me to pack and unpack and move in between. So uh, I have nothing to contribute here. I'm glad Gerald picked up the torch this week and went strong in the paint. The weirdest thing to me about moving, here's another aside on a show that's full of, on an episode that's been full of them. The transition from TVs being the heaviest thing that you move to one of the lightest things that you move, it's been a revolution. In True. Moving. As somebody who once had a pickup truck and is going to get a pickup truck soon, like, helps a lot. Of, like, you're a big guy with a pickup truck, you help everybody move. And, like, that transition from, like, hey, we need three people to carry this TV to, like, <laughs> hey, throw this thing in your backseat and you get to, like, un- one arm it up the stairs. It's just been the greatest thing to happen to moving ever. It, it is true, and I'm not here to brag about my rooms, but I have two different. I have an upstairs and, and, and a game room and a downstairs uh, living room, and, and I literally had to decide which TV went where, like which was the newer and the nicer, and I put them in the wrong spots for what we ultimately decided, so I had to move upstairs, downstairs, and flip them, and it literally was as, as, as simple as like, oh, yeah, I'll just carry that down and do that, and it was a five-minute, you know, it, it switch we hadn't have them mounted yet or anything but when we were just thinking about it and it was not at all you know it would have been worse to have to move a heavy box uh from from the upstairs to the downstairs and have to reconfigure um so 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 yeah you you are absolutely right and then in this godzilla tron section when we talk about really giant <laughs> enormous screens and how technology i guess the basis of this segment how technology has allowed screens to be audaciously gaudy ridiculously large and and again that is the point of the segment um we we have also somehow made them uh transportable and 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 lightweight and and it just makes me think about those old tube tvs that that i remember moving one three stories in college that was a few was a few years older than me even and had been left there and it just was not didn't be needed anymore and i swear that thing i'm not kidding had to be 1200 pounds and it was the the single most taxing physical event I've ever done in my life, getting that down three flights of stairs. So in the Teos house, but, uh, you know, we lived, we learned and, uh, and, and yeah, we have, we have moved on and evolved as a society. And that's your random moving minute of the week. That's all <laughs> we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email at longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them.
hookup. Now that Melissa's gone, I will resume saying nothing but mean things about DCU.